I've often heard the saying, listen to your heart. But sometimes my heart wants to skip work, eat gallons of ice cream, and watch YouTube videos all day. But are my internal inclinations always wrong? How can we ever hope to sort out the mix of attractions and repulsions in our heart? This episode of Physically Spiritual will explore St. Ignatius of Loyola's answer to this question, the discernment of spirits. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. If you want to support everything we do at Awaken Catholic, all of the shows and the production and technology that goes into this great work, consider becoming a member of the Awaken Nation. The Awaken Nation is a community of patrons that for as little as the cup cost of a cup of coffee a week, uh, support this mission financially. Go to awakencatholic.org forward slash donate to become a member of the nation. And with that donation, you'll also receive access to some bonus content that supplements everything else that's published here for free. If you want to get the best experience of all the shows from Awaken Catholic, consider getting the Awaken app. The Awaken app also includes discussion boards that go along with the shows and alternative to social media, access to your premium content if you're a member of the nation, prayers and music, and much more. Go to theawakenapp.io or search for the Awaken app on the Google Play or Apple iTunes store. Also, we are partners with Hollow. Hollow is a Catholic meditation app to help you find peace and grow in your spiritual journey. The Hollow app includes lessons on how to pray, uh, guides on guided meditations that come out daily, sleep stories, and much more with the premium subscription. If you want to get a free trial of that subscription, go to hollow.app forward slash awaken to sign up with our partner link. Uh, and also, uh, a great way to support everything we do here at Awaken Catholic is just to like, comment on the shows, to follow, and hit that bell notification on YouTube. And um, all that activity helps more people find all the content published here on Awaken Catholic. So our topic for today's show, continuing our track on prayer and the mystical life, is on the discernment of spirits. This idea of the discernment of spirits has a rich tradition in the Catholic Church going all the way back to the scriptures. Uh, The first letter of St. John chapter 4 begins, Beloved, do not trust every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they belong to God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Right. So this this passage is uh, guiding us against discerning false teachers. Um, But the core of this, St. John is proposing, is a discernment of spirits. A couple reasons for that. One, those false teachers who are going out into the world may be thinking that they're teaching the truth, right? They've maybe not done a thorough enough job discerning the spirits in their own life with the way they've come to their insights and the way that they have been approaching their teaching. Um, But also in our own hearts, We need to test the spirits, what's going on inside of us, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and what are the sources of those thoughts and feelings? Where are they coming from? In Catechism, paragraph 1952 says, Man participates in the wisdom and goodness of the Creator who gives him mastery over his acts and the ability to govern himself with a view to the true and the good. The natural law expresses the original moral sense 
which enables man to discern by reason the good and the evil, the truth and the lie. Right, so we have this natural capacity by reason to discern to determine the good and the evil, the truth from the lie on a natural level, meaning um, things that we're discovering through our experience of the world around us, things that we discover from nature. Um, but there's another kind of discernment, a, a supernatural discernment, meaning things that are coming to us that are beyond the natural order. So Catechism, paragraph 2847, says the Holy Spirit makes us discern between trials, which are necessary for the growth of the inner man in temptation, which leads to sin and death. We must also discern between being tempted and consenting to temptation. Finally, discernment unmasks the lie of temptation, whose object appears to be good, a delight to the eyes, and desirable, when in reality its fruit is death. So there's also this supernatural discernment that is a gift of grace that the Lord needs to guide to inspire us. Uh, it's important that we, we don't have a natural faculty to, um, to know things that are higher than our nature. Meaning if an, if an angel appears to me or interacts with me on some level, oftentimes um, things that are higher than me interact in a subtle way, meaning on the level of, of thought. There's an image proposed to my imagination or maybe a word that comes into my mind or an attraction that I experience. So a lot of times these movements inside of me, uh, if it comes from a supernatural source, I don't have a natural capacity to know whether that's a good angel, meaning from the Lord, or if it's from an evil angel, a, a demon, one that's fallen away from the Lord. Um, so it, it, I think it's actually one of the, the lies that we can fall into, that we have a natural capacity to tell the difference. And people sometimes think that they can tell the difference by their feeling, that we have this sort of innate sixth sense or this um, this radar to tell the difference. Uh, and that's not actually a thought within the church's tradition, that a, a being higher than me can deceive me and can deceive my senses. Uh, so it's important that when we're going through this discernment process, that we're reliant on the grace of the Holy Spirit, and we need to proceed through certain rules that we can determine through reason. St. Ignatius of Loyola, who uh, had a, a powerful conversion at the, end of the, at the end of the 15th century, and then his ministry into the beginning of the 16th century uh, in Spain and then later in um, France and Italy, and he found, was the founder of the uh, Jesuits, um, he wrote down, uh, based on his conversion experience and his prayer life, a, a guide called the Spiritual Exercises. And in a sense, what the Spiritual Exercises are were his attempt to sort of package and communicate and share his conversion experience through a retreat, either a 30-day retreat that was done in, uh, at a monastery or in isolation or an at-home style of retreat done in day-to-day -day life. These exercises are, are guided meditations and different, um, different prayers and practices that you carry out over this period of time. And as part of this uh, group of spiritual exercises, there's rules that he proposes in it, and there's two sets of rules for the discernment of spirits. The first set of rules for the discernment of spirits is um, sort of the, the foundational set, the, the broader set that's for the, the first week um, of this, which 
Um, if you're thinking in the broader spiritual context, I've been taught that this is really for people who are in, in the purgative way, people who are early on in the spiritual life, where the second set of rules are, are more subtle um, and are really for a, a more advanced stage in the spiritual life or for the, the second or third week of the retreat. Um, so from that context, this episode, I'm going to focus on that first set of rules for this discernment of spirits, assuming that most of the audience is probably in that context. I want to point you, though, to a lot of other resources on this topic. On season one of Physically Spiritual, Father Bill Watson joined us, um, a, a great a Jesuit who founded a, a, a group called the Sacred Story Institute. He has a lot of great books on Ignatian spirituality and the, the spiritual exercises. Uh, so I'll, I'll link that. He gives a great explanation of St. Ignatius's life and um, the spiritual exercises in that context from season one. I've also learned a lot from the, the work of Dan Burke, uh, his book, um, The Discernment of Spirits and Spiritual Warfare. So I'll, I'll link that. And also Father Timothy Gallagher, uh, his book, The Discernment of Spirits and Ignatian Guide for Everyday Living. And recently there was a great um, a great series on Dan and Stephanie Burke's radio show with Father Timothy Gallagher about his book, The Discernment of Spirits in Marriage. Um, so I'll link that series. It's a 14-episode it's a series, one uh, episode for each rule, um, another great way to go deeper on this topic. So let's begin actually looking at St. Ignatius's rules, how we should go about this discernment process that we can figure out these internal movements so the first rule, the first two rules from these uh, are kind of setting the context, the context of the overall general movement of our life. So the first, first rule states, the first rule, in the persons who go from mortal sin to mortal sin, the enemy is commonly used to propose to them apparent pleasures, making them imagine sensual delights and pleasures in order to hold them more and make them grow in their vices and sins. In these persons, the good spirit uses the opposite method pricking them and biting their consciences through the process of reason. Um, so what the good spirit is doing and what the bad spirit is doing are exactly the opposite, right? And so in this context of someone going from mortal sin to mortal sin or grave sin to grave sin, um, if you want an explanation on what that is, go back a couple episodes to the episode on confession. And I do um, some explanation of grave sin, what those are, and how to discern that in your life in that episode. Um, so in that context... The evil spirit is proposing pleasures to us. Um, so in, in the intro, I said that that common phrase, listen to your heart, right? If we do that in the context of this movement of our, of our life away from the Lord, it's just going to keep drawing us away from the Lord. Um, in this context, the Lord is, is pricking us with our reason, meaning showing us um, reasons why what we're doing is not good, affecting our conscience, this internal sense of what's right and what's wrong. So in this case, the good spirit's actually causing us disturbance, causing us disquiet um, by reason. So the second rule is the opposite movement. The first rule, if our, if our life is generally moving away from God, the second rule, he says, in second, the persons who are going on intensely cleansing their sins and raising from good to better in the service of God our Lord, it is the method contrary to that of the first rule. For then it is the way of the evil spirit to bite, sadden, and put obstacles, disquieting with false reasons, that one may not go on. And it is proper to the good to give courage and strength, consolations, tears, inspirations, and quiet, easing and putting away all obstacles, that one may go on in doing well. 
So the, so the second rule, when we're moving closer to God with our life, the opposite's the case, right? The evil spirit's going to be um, putting an obstacles in our way, trying to take away um, our hope to sadden us, to, to bite our spirit, disquiet us, give false reasons. And on the other hand, the good spirit is going to give consolations, which is a, a spiritual sense of, of joy, of goodness, of wholeness, tears, inspirations, uh, quiet, meaning peace easing and taking away obstacles. Um, so just these general movements in our life. And when I say that, Ignatius talks in a bit of extremes. Like on the one hand, you're going from mortal sin to mortal sin. On the other hand, you're intensely cleansing um, yourself and raising yourself from sin, right? You, you might be thinking, well, I feel like I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I'm intensely cleansing my life um, and going from good to better. But on the other hand, I'm not like, committing a bunch of rave sins every day. Um, and so you're probably in a place where you're phasing, right? There's times of your life where you're maybe struggling with sins more, and there's other times in your life where you're, you feel like you're making progress more. So you have to be attuned to the general movement, realizing that in a general sense, you're probably in the second rule, moving to God to some degree or another. But then there are also periods of your life where you fall out of that and you fall into various sins um, so being attentive to that will help you uh, to just get this general sense of movement. All right, so the third and fourth rules um, go on to describe these experiences in the context of the second rule. So the rest of the rules are in the context of when you're moving closer to God, how to sort out what's happening. The third rule is simply an explanation of spiritual consolation. Ignatius describes it this way. I call it consolation when some interior movement in the soul is caused through which the soul comes to be inflamed with love of its creator and Lord, when it can in consequence love no created thing on the face of the earth itself, but in the creator of them all. Right? Ignatius is, has some pretty flowery language, um, but in the mythos he gives a description of what this means that's a little more down to earth. So when it sheds tears that move it to love of God, whether out of sorrow for one's sins or the passion of Christ our Lord, or because of other things directly connected with his service and praise, consolation, every increase in hope, faith, and charity, so any increase in the theological virtues, all interior joy, which calls us and attracts us to heavenly things for the salvation of one's soul and uh, giving it peace in the Creator and Lord. Now, one thing to note, Ignatius does make a subtle distinction here between natural consolation and desolation and supernatural consolation and desolation. I mean, we do have these natural consolations in life, you know, like just the flavor of good food or, or feeling rested after a good night of sleep, um, the companionship of a friend. All these are, are natural and good consolations. We're also going to have natural desolations like, um, like hunger, sadness, maybe some mourning, uh, difficulty facing challenges and the difficulty around that. So these, these natural consolations aren't directly what Ignatius is referring to here. He's referring to movements inside of us that have a, a cause that's supernatural, that's above the created order, um, either from an evil spirit or a good spirit. Now, I think every movement in us probably has some kind of complex causality, meaning it isn't so clean that like this positive thing is just from this natural cause and then this negative thing is just from this supernatural cause. A lot of times the natural and supernatural are, are interlaced in our life and happening simultaneously. Um, so 
for all practical purposes, I don't think it's necessarily at every time essential to distinguish what's natural and what's supernatural. And a lot of times these rules um, apply in both cases. Now, I'll mention a, a few times when I think we need to be attentive to these differences later on. But just to know that Ignatius makes this distinction. Finally, the fourth rule. The fourth rule of spiritual desolation. Ignatius says, I call desolation all the contrary to the third, such as darkness of soul, disturbance in it, movement to things low and earthly, the unquiet of different agitations and temptations, moving to want of confidence, without hope, without love, when one finds oneself all lazy, tepid, sad, and as if separated from his Creator and Lord. Because as consolation is contrary to desolation, in the same way the thoughts which come from consolation are contrary to the thoughts which come from desolation. So desolation, just the opposite of consolation, things that are, are taking us away from the Lord to be lazy, especially in our spiritual work, a spiritual sadness, feeling any separation from God. Think when you turn to prayer or something's going on in your life and you feel like God isn't there, right? This is what he's talking about. So this is in the overall context of the first and second rule. You're in a life that's generally moving toward the Lord, the overall tide of your life. So in the context of this, you're going to experience these two movements, spiritual consolation and desolation. The good spirit using the consolation to draw you, the evil spirit using desolation to draw you away from the Lord. So just to, to make a state, this, these exercises are available for free online, and I'll link in the show notes the version that I'm using. There are a lot of different translations of St. Ignatius's exercises, which were originally written in Spanish, an old version of Spanish. Um, so I'm going to link, and I'm using the free version that you can all have access to for free. Um, but then there's a lot of other good translations um, that I would recommend if you ever want to make the exercises. So I'll also link some of those translations in the show notes. So these next four rules, rule five through rule eight, are specifically for what to do in times of desolation. Instructions, okay, we're in this desolation, we've recognized it, now what should we do? Now, it's, I, I think for, for my life, a, a really important insight that I, I garnered about these rules was that Ignatius is very interested in the little mundane details of life. Right When I heard discernment at first, the context that I often thought of discernment in was discerning my vocation. Like, should I be a priest? Should I be married? Uh, what job should I have? Where should I live? Sort of these big macro decisions in my life. Um, but in the context of Ignatius writing these rules, he's giving these rules in the context of a 30-day silent retreat at a monastery. So while this overall retreat was for the purpose of figuring out whether or not to join the Society of Jesus or to make some big decision in your life, the application of these rules were in the mundane details of trying to pray a lot in a monastery. So the, the rules have real power when they are applied in the mundane, in the little details, in the day-to-day -day decisions, um, whether or not to keep your commitment to daily prayer how to decide what to do with that free time that you find, um, what to do when you feel agitated when you're trying to talk to your spouse, you know how to how to spend um, your lunch break during the workday. Maybe if you're if you're fasting a little bit and not going to eat lunch, you know it's it's in these small details of life that these rules have great power. Um, so as I go through them, I want you to to think 
about them in that context. All right, so rule five, what to do in desolation. The fifth, in time of desolation, never make a change, but be firm and cons- constant in the resolutions and determination in which one was the day preceding such desolation, or in the determination in which he was in the preceding consolation, because as in consolation it is rather the good spirit who guides and counsels us, so in desolation it is the bad, with whose counsels we cannot take a course to decide rightly. So in consolation, generally it's the good spirit drawing us to the Lord. In desolation, it's the evil spirit trying to draw us away from the Lord. Um, So remember, in the context of the life moving towards the Lord, any of these experiences of disquiet. This is specifically spiritual desolation, though, and that's important because we may experience a physical desolation. For example, I didn't sleep enough last night, so now I'm tired and I feel like I should take a nap. Well, just because I'm in like a state of desolation because I'm tired, a natural desolation, that doesn't mean that I ought not to take the nap. The nap might actually be in my best interest because it's a natural thing that's happening. On the other hand, now this is taken to the spiritual level. Okay, so I didn't sleep well last night. My thought is maybe the nap is more important than my prayer. But I've made a commitment to a certain practice of prayer when I was in consolation last Well, now we're dealing with a whole different question, right? What this rule is telling me is not to change that resolution, not to change that commitment. So this comes into play, especially at those times of difficulty in your day when you're tempted to be lax about your spiritual practice, maybe a particularly difficult period of prayer and you're tempted to end it early. Maybe in um, you're coming home from, from work and it's a spiritual thing in your marriage to Talk to your spouse and to pay attention in the conversation and to share meaningfully. So your temptation is just to, to go home and, you know, get on your phone and play a game or, or scroll on social media or something. No, it's keeping to that commitment to connect, to have a meaningful conversation, to ask good questions and to listen. So this is where the fifth rule really plays out in those day-to-day decisions to stay consistent and faithful to your commitments to the Lord and in your vocation. All right, what else should we do in desolation? The sixth rule. Ignatius said the sixth. Although in desolation we ought not change our first resolutions, it is very helpful intensely to change ourselves against the same desolation as by insisting on prayer, meditation, and much examination and by giving ourselves more scope in such suitable way of doing penance. Right? So you're sitting in that prayer time and you're tempted to stop it early. Well, the sixth rule would tell you actually in the face of that desolation to stay long. So maybe you have a commitment to 20 minutes or 30 minutes of mental prayer every day. Well, your desolation is telling you to stop. Take it to 22 minutes. Take it to 23 minutes. Take it to 25 minutes. You know, act directly contrary to that desolation. Um, another example might be uh, you've taken on some kind of fast, right? Maybe you're, you've given up using um, seasoning on your food for a day and you're offering it up for the sanctification of your spouse, right? And you're going to have a temptation. Oh, I'm going to put a little salt on this chicken because it tastes really bad. Well, in the face of that desolation, what you then do is, well, the next morning you skip the salt and pepper again at breakfast, right? Act directly contrary to the desolation to increase um, that spiritual activity against it. What else should we do in desolation? 
the seventh rule. Let him who is in desolation consider how the Lord has left him in trial to his natural powers in order to resist the different agitations and temptations of the enemy, since he can with divine help, which always remains to him, though he does not clearly perceive it, because the Lord has taken from him his great fervor, great love, and intense grace, leaving him, however, grace enough for eternal salvation. This is important. In desolation, it's only a perceived absence of God. It's not an actual absence of God. So the Lord removes from us the perception of his presence and the perception of strength in order that we can persevere in, in spite of it. Right? It's, it's a purifying experience to go through this. So rule seven is simply remind yourself, recall the previous consolation, recall the truth that you know in the faith, right? This is uh, where especially meditation comes in, where you can meditate on the fact that God is still present to you uh, to hold fast your commitments and meditate on the fact that God truly is there. Um, but the, the seventh rule is primarily a mindset rule to call to mind God's promise and God's in the, the persevere in the midst of that promise. All right, our final directive in desolation, the eighth rule, let him who is in desolation labor to be in patience, which is contrary to the vexations which come to him, and let him think that he will soon be consoled, employing against the desolation the devices, as is said in the sixth rule. So be patient. Be patient. The desolation is going to start pushing you to make changes, right, to, to make these changes. And in the midst of that, um, to... Uh, to not trust that the Lord has working a great work in you, right? It's going to sound something like this, like you need to take control of the situation. Uh, you know, something isn't right. You need to um, change this way that you're trying to pray, right? It's not working. You need to learn a new way to pray. Um, it's, it could be something like this, that, um, that uh, the, the, it's not working because, well, you're praying at the wrong time. So now you have to try to pray at lunchtime. So you skip your morning prayer. And then what happens at lunch is, well, you have another desolation. Oh, I'll pray after work. And then you get home from work and stuff's going on around your house. And then I'll pray before bed. And then before you know it, you're in bed and you didn't pray that day, right? It's a, a really a temptation to take things into our own hand to fix the situation. We need to labor in patience, applying rules five, six, and seven um, and all the tools therein. So this is what we do in desolation, right? Don't make a change to our resolutions, to spiritual practice especially. Work directly against the desolation to augment our spiritual practices uh, in a contrary way. To call to mind that God is still there and the grace is sufficient. And then eight is to be patient. All right, rule nine is... Um, I think a linchpin rule, and it's essential for understanding what's happening. So that the ninth rule explains why we find ourselves in desolation. What are the reasons for desolation? He says, there are three principal reasons we find ourselves in desolation. The first, because our being tepid, lazy, or negligent in our spiritual exercises, and so through our faults, spiritual consolation withdraws from us. The second, to try us and see how much we are and how much we let ourselves out in his service and praise without such great pay of consolations and great grace. And then the third, to give us true acquaintance and knowledge that we may interiorly feel that it is not ours 
to get or keep great devotion, intense love, tears, and any other spiritual consolation, but that all is the gift and grace of God our Lord, and that we may not build a nest in a thing not ours, raising our intellect into some pride or vainglory, attributing to us devotion or the other things of spiritual consolation. So three rules why this happens. The first is our own fault, right? Some laziness, some some tepidness, meaning you've started to cut corners a little bit. Um, you haven't stuck to your, your commitment. And in the midst of that, it's not in your best interest for the consolation to remain, right? The Lord uh, re- re- removes that presence so we understand the consequences of what we're happening. In a sense, it's it's like a yellow light. It's a warning sign that we need to get back on track. So that desolation then pulls us back with rule f- uh, five and six to get back on track and to redouble our spiritual efforts. The second reason here um, is that we realize um, what we are without the Lord, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a test in a sense. It's in the midst of that struggle that our, our motivations are purified, right? We could just be seeking consolation because we want to feel good. Consolation feels good. We're not seeking the consolations of God. We're seeking the God of consolation. So we need to, to make sure we're always directing our heart to the Lord and not to what the Lord will do for us. And then the third reason is true self-knowledge to understand that we don't cause the consolation by um, my superior meditation method or how great I am or how deserving I am of it. But consolation is always a free gift of the Lord. Now, it's important to make an extra distinction here. There are other reasons we can have negative spiritual experiences other than desolation. The first is just as a result of sin. Right? None of these three reasons for desolation is because we've sinned. If we've sinned, uh, we're now in rule one. Rule one territory is the Lord is going to make us uh, feel bad by biting our conscience, giving us reasons against the sin. Right? So in rule one territory, right, there could be a, a, a perceived absence of God as a result of our sin. And that's different than desolation. Right? You're, you're, you're out of rule two at that point. On the other hand, people have an experience called dark nights. Right? What's explained as a dark night is different than what Ignatius is describing here as desolation. A dark night um, was famously described by St. John of the Cross. And episode 24 of season two of Physically Spiritual will be about the dark nights. So we'll have um, some deeper teaching on this later in the season. But an important distinction here is that in the dark night, uh, it's sometimes called contemplative aridity. And it's an intense period of purification that is in a transition, in a transition between the purgative way and the illuminative way. We talked about these different ages of the spiritual life um, in a previous episode that I'll link in the show notes. So this contemplative aridity um, a couple things to note in the distinction is that the contemplative aridity is there and there's a, a consistent practice of virtue that's gone along with it. Uh, so, so you've practiced this virtue, even what seemingly might be a heroic level of virtue for a long period of time. And there's a, a consistent practice in prayer, right? So it's definitely not the, the, the desolation under the first rule where the desolation is as a result of the person's laziness or tepidness or failure to follow through with their commitments. Uh, But in the midst of this um, contemplative aridity, uh, there's also a loss 
of attraction to the things of the world. Sometimes this first period of contemplative rarity is called the dark night of the senses. Um, and so in that, there's a loss of sense of pleasure in the things of the world, where the exact opposite's the case in desolation. In desolation, you're going to experience an augmented attraction to the things of the world. Now, all this being said, there should also be a distinction between these spiritual experiences and a physiological experience like depression. Uh, they can sometimes, I think, possibly even express themselves simultaneously. Um, so all this to being said that this is a different spiritual experience, these dark nights, than what Ignatius is describing here in, um, in the, the desolation. And also the instructions on what ought to be done in each period are a little different. Right? The, the core of getting to the dark night is perseverance, uh, persevering through it. So it's not necessarily applying rule seven, which is resisting it, right? acting contrary to it. In the case of, of a dark night, uh, it's a matter of submitting to the work of the Lord of purifying us. Where in the case of desolation, it's a matter of resisting and, and, and upping our spiritual disciplines in response to it. Now, regardless of whether, um, regardless of whether it's a darkness as a result of sin, a darkness as a result of desolation, or darkness as a result of um, of the dark night, there are some commonalities in practice across all of them, right? God's the answer to all of them. So giving your whole life to the Lord is the key. Humility and true self-knowledge is the key in every case. And then perseverance in, in prayer and in, in our commitments to the Lord. So these, these are a common foundation of what we should do in each case. And in episode 24, we'll go deeper into the dark nights and discerning the dark nights. All right, rule 10 and 11, go through what to do in spiritual consolation, what we should do when everything seems like it's going great. The 10th rule says the 10th, let him who is in consolation think how he will be in desolation, which will come after, taking new strength from then. So plan for what to do in desolation while you're in consolation. In a sense, rule 10 goes with rule 5. So in rule five, don't change your commitments. Rule 10 is in consolation, make your commitments. All right, the 11th rule, let him who isn't, is consoled see to humbling himself and lowering himself as much as he can, thinking of how little he is able for in the time of desolation without such grace or consolation. On the contrary, let him who's in desolation think that he can do much with the grace sufficient to resist all his enemies, taking strength in his creator and Lord. So this 11th rule goes really with rules 8 and 9, right? So when we're in consolation, we need to humble ourselves, realize that it's from the Lord. And in a sense, then the reasons for desolation in rule 9 won't come into play. Because if we're not following rule 11, then it's not in our best interest for the consolation to continue. And on the other hand, we need to call to mind that grace is sufficient, right? This is practicing rule 8. Here in Rule 11. So what to do in consolation? Make a plan for when the desolation will come back, because it will come back. And Rule 11 is to humble ourselves and realize that the consolation is of the Lord and not from us. All right, so that's a quick run-through of the, basics, the basis of this rule for discernment of spirit. Rule 12, 13, and 14 are specific applications in the context 
of these rules. So I'm going to touch on those three rules at the end and then the bonus content on this episode. Uh, if you're a member of the Waken Nation, you get access to that bonus content. We'll go deeper in Rule 12, 13, and 14. But there's a, a deep, intimate connection between a practice, this practice of the discernment of spirits and another practice that Ignatius is a proponent of called the examine prayer. The examine. The next episode on mysticism, on prayer, and physically spiritual, um, which should be episode uh, 21, uh, will be on the examine prayer. So we'll go to this in depth. But you might be thinking something like, how on earth am I ever going to remember all this? And how on earth am I ever going to have uh, the peace of mind, the, the mindfulness to be able to notice that this is happening in me? Like so much of my day is on autopilot, right? I'm just going from thing to thing. Um, and I'm not necessarily taking the time to pause and notice these movements. Um, so pausing and noticing is essential to being able to follow these rules for the discernment of spirits. Especially in the original context, it was for a 30-day silent retreat, right? That, a real good context for noticing what's happening when you don't have to work, you don't have to cook your food or do anything. You're just, really your job is to pray and to seek the Lord. But in day-to-day -day life, this is difficult, right? You have families, jobs, commitments, and duties, uh, chores, and everything else that draws our attention away from what's going on inside of us. So we need to learn how to make space to discern. We need to live a discerning lifestyle, a lifestyle where we have pauses. Uh, and I would propose that the foundation of this discerning lifestyle is the examine prayer, is a period of time every day when we pause and notice God's presence in our life, both noticing the positive stuff with gratitude and, uh, and then also noticing the negative stuff with repentance. But by doing this exam and we're building our discernment muscle, our capacity to notice God's presence, and then in the contrary, to be able to notice when something's contrary to, to the Lord working in us. And then we can add in different periods of pausing and noticing. While we might have a longer period, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes of the exam and prayer, maybe in the morning or at the end of the day, we can then integrate shorter moments of noticing our current state and, and build the habit of practicing the presence of God, of continually calling to mind that God is present to us. And then on the other hand, continually noticing what's happening in us, that when a movement of desolation happens, that we develop like an antenna that goes up um, and we're able to then act contrary to it. If we're not living this discerning life, we're just awash in it. We're just awash in it. One of the, the sayings that Dan Burke uses that I love is, not every voice in your head is your own, so you shouldn't listen to all of them. Right? If we're not discerning, we're literally just listening to all of them. We probably think every movement in us is us. Right? Listen to your heart. Just do whatever feels good, whatever feels right. Be authentic to yourself. Be true to yourself. We throw around these sayings, but we don't stop and realize that we're in the midst of a spiritual battle. So this means that these evil spirits really, as Ignatius calls, are the enemy of our human nature, therefore our destruction. So we need to turn and live this discerning life. All right, really quick on these last three rules, these practical tips for what to do. Rule 12, or rule, um, yeah, rule 12 is simply to fight the beginnings. 
to fight the beginnings. I had a, a, a confessor once who used this expression that if there's a, um, if there's a, if you have a tent and there's a camel that wants to get into your tent, you have to hit its nose when it sticks its nose in the tent. And the idea was once the camel gets its body in the tent, you can't push it out anymore. It's too big. And this is what we have to do with desolation too. The moment it's there, we have to resist it and fight it, fight the beginnings. Uh, and then it will, will flee. If we let it settle in, then it'll be too much for us. The 13th rule is we can't be alone with the desolation. We need to put light on it. The enemy works in hiding and relies on secret. Uh, so in the 13th rule, we have to expose our heart to others and share the desolation and that then it will lose its power over us. Then finally, the 14th rule is the enemy is working against the particular parts of you that are weak. I mean, the enemy is trying to attack the point in you where they're most confident that you will fall. Uh, so being aware of this, then you could have a particular attention to that area of your life and noticing uh, the spirit's movements toward or away from whatever that struggle is. All right, so this is a quick introduction to these discernment of spirits. I would encourage you to go deeper in the resources, uh, that great um, radio series with Father Gallagher and Dan and Stephanie Burke, uh, the, the books, and then also the text itself of Ignatius, which will be in the show notes. So go deeper with these rules, live the discerning life. Uh, don't be a victim of these internal movements, but give your whole heart to the Lord, uh, who is the Lord of Consolation. This show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by the Awakened Nation and the Hollow app. The Awakened Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app slash awaken.